0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we revisit Dr. Newfeld's series called God and Money. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, as we study that and several other parables of Jesus on the subject of money with Dr. John
1: Neufeld. I've decided to take a week to deal with a very important matter. It's a matter of money. I know, I know. Some of you are going to think that this is going to be an attempt to get you to give. And that in just a little while, I'll be promising that anyone who gives to back to the Bible will get a 100% return on your investment. Now, if that's what you're expecting, I promise you, you're going to be joyously disappointed. See, money is about so much more than giving. Understanding money, what it is. The advantages of money, the inherent dangers in money how we should view money in general, and our own money in particular, all of those things are biblical themes. Not only does following Christ involve our families and our work lives and our interaction with our nation, and things like understanding our own sexuality, and following Christ involves everything, and therefore it naturally follows that following Christ involves our money. But I would be disingenuous if I were to suggest that I was only going to talk about money in some kind of a philosophical way and never talk about giving. See, we spend money and we save money and we squander money, but we also give money. Giving has to be a part of what we talk about when we talk about money. But on the other hand, if all we talk about when we talk about money is giving or contributing to ministry— I fear we may not learn much about money in Christian discipleship. See, I think there's a way to talk about money that can result in ending a divided life. What do I mean by that? A divided life sees money as distinct from discipleship. And so how you use your money is your business and has nothing to do with your faith. So here's the good news. You can come to the point in your life where your life is not divided and you're not a hypocrite. Your money becomes a servant of Christ and is a tool yielded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for this week, we're going to be talking about money. Money is crucial to the spiritual life of a Christian. Our God is a meddlesome God. He demands that we open up our bank account and he pronounces that all the things over which Jesus is Lord also includes our money. But when we talk about money... I think there are two opposites and extreme views that Christians have held historically on money. Let me explain that. One extreme view has been called the prosperity gospel, or also a part of the word-faith theology. Now, people in this camp love to point out that Abraham, the man of faith, was rich. They love verses like Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, which says that it is the Lord who gives us the ability to make wealth. And 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, which says that through his poverty, we become rich. And they combine that with Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, that anything we ask will be given to us. And Mark 11, 23 to 24, which tells us to speak to the mountain and it will be removed. And so they teach people to speak to the mountain of debt and poverty. See, for these people, having and getting money and becoming rich is a sign of faith in God. God, they say, wants to teach you the principles that will help you to get a lot of money. Now, so much has been said and written to discredit this use of money in the Scriptures. I mean, as just one example, speaking to the mountain, passage found in Mark 11:23 23-24, refers specifically to the Temple Mount. When Jesus says, if anyone says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, he was speaking about the end of sacrifices and offerings in the temple, which his death on the cross would abolish for all times. The mountain that was removed was the Temple Mount. And so it seems to me that tearing passages out of context in order to get them to speak about the mountains of debt in our lives, well, I think that's sheer fantasy, making the Bible say things it simply doesn't say. Now, on the other side of the spectrum are those who denounce money. I mean, they quote 1 Timothy 6, which tells that those who want to get rich fall into a snare, that many people wanting to get rich have wandered from the faith and that we should be content if we have food and clothing. They quote James 5, which condemns the rich for oppressing the poor and pronounces God's judgment on them. They tell of Jesus and the rich young ruler and the rich man and Lazarus. For them, having more than the basic necessities is a sign that you have no faith, that you no longer trust God to take care of your daily bread. Instead, for them, having financial investments for retirement will make you never ask God for your daily bread, for your daily bread is secured now through worldly means. But this idea that poverty is to be desired over riches has a root system in the ancient Desert Fathers. These were the people who rebelled against the secularization of the then state-sanctioned church. These were people who founded monastic communities and thought that Christ demanded an aesthetic extremism. And so they spoke of embracing a vow of poverty and celibacy and depriving themselves of all pleasure. Now, even though most of us today can't identify with this extreme view, and yet there are many in the Christian faith who deeply distrust rich Christians. So did you notice? One side says money is a sign of faith, and the other says the exact opposite. Now, did you notice both sides can produce an impressive amount of Scripture, but did you also notice that you can only make your case on either extreme by ignoring an impressive amount of Scripture and by refusing to understand the context of a given Scripture passage? See, whatever we think of the matter, would you also notice that money is not a subject that anyone ignores? people feel genuinely passionately about money. And what often surprises so many who don't know is that Jesus spoke about money almost more frequently than any other topic. 16 of his 38 parables deal with the subject of money. A quick read through all the parables of Jesus shows Jesus speaking about investments, savings, debt, hiring procedures, wage structures of workers, leasing property, banking, the accumulation of interest, building construction in its costs, and even about dividing up an estate at death. Clearly, Jesus was interested in money. Now, in order to understand Jesus on money, I'm going to do something I've not done before. I want to speak on not about one of the parables on money, but three of Jesus' parables and combine his teaching about money from all three. The first of his parables is the parable of the dishonest manager, the second his parable of the talents, and the third his parable of the ten minas. So let's listen to all three, the first found in Luke sixteen one to 13 He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, there are a great many people who find this parable perplexing. It seems to us as if Jesus is commending a dishonest manager for pulling the wool over his employer's eyes and using his money to buy friends. This kind of person seems to be lacking all ethical parameters. I mean, does Jesus think that people who switch price tags in order to garner special deals are to be commended? Well, no, he doesn't think that. But there are so many questions, and in this series I will answer them. But let's not take our eyes off the key and principal teaching that comes out of this passage. Jesus wants us to know that if we have not been faithful in the handling of money, how will he entrust us those things that are far more precious than money? And here he is speaking about eternal riches. And so there is a connection with how we handle money here in this life on this earth and what we will be entrusted with in the life that is to come.
0: How will you begin 2019? And when the year comes to a conclusion, What will you look back on to know that you've earnestly pursued God, you've witnessed His power, experienced His love, and declared His praise? Well, back to the Bible, Canada is a Bible teaching ministry not intended simply to change minds, but hearts, and to call God's people to live lives that glorify Him. This new year, we continue to search out God's will and purpose to embrace new opportunities for declaring His Word of Truth and freely share Bible teaching resources that engage the mind, heart, and spirit. Our prayers, that you would journey with us with your prayers, your encouragement, and your financial support. Together, working to share God's Word of Truth and life. Call us today with your gift or for more information about All the ministry resources available to you, call 1 800 663 2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: I have said that I am basing many of my remarks on money from three parables that Jesus told. The first is the parable of the dishonest manager, the second is the parable of the talents. I'm reading Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, again, as with the first parable, we see that using money and investing money is key for Jesus. But here it seems like the ramifications of how we invest is enhanced. You see, in the first parable, Jesus spoke of eternal rewards. But here he speaks of the place of outer darkness, the place of endless torment, the place we know to be hell. Suddenly, the conversation about money is taken to the level where a great eternal crisis is looming over us if we don't learn the lessons about money. Well, we've heard two parables, the parable of the dishonest manager and the parable of the talents, and now the third. Let's listen to the parable of the ten minas, found in Luke 19, verses 11 to 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, this third parable, like the other two, is also about investment of money. And this third, the parable of the ten minas, closely resembles the parable of the talents, except, as is easily seen, in the parable of the ten minas, each servant has exactly the same amount of money, and in the parable of the talents, each one receives a different amount. But the expectation to use the money in ways that produce a good rate of return is also there. Also, in both parables, there's a day of accounting, followed by horrifying punishment if one is not found to have been producing the rate of return. And so three parables almost totally devoted to the idea of money. You know, it's unfortunate that the parable of the talents, and by the way, a talent is simply a unit of reckoning wealth has no actual coin that was called a talent. But a talent equaled about 6,000 drachmas, or to put it in ways that we would understand today, a talent was about 20 years of labor for the average worker. Now, I mention that just so that we won't confuse talents with aptitudes or abilities. This parable is about how we use money. Now today and tomorrow, from these three parables, very similar and yet very different, outstanding features are found. I want to talk about what Jesus says to us about money. I want to discuss 10 principles from Jesus about money. I will deal with one of them today and nine of them we're going to deal with tomorrow. And so here's principle number one. All three of these parables teach us that God is the owner of all wealth, all money. See, if you miss that, then nothing that I say this entire week even remotely matters. And until we acknowledge this deeply in our hearts, deeply and willingly and joyfully acknowledge this, I fear we'll never learn even the most basic things about money. Now, notice that in the parable of the dishonest manager, God is the rich man. In the parable of the talents, he's the property owner who's on a journey and is coming back. In the parable of the minas, he's the nobleman with vast resources who will inherit a kingdom. And that fits well with what the entire Bible says about God's ownership of all things. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. And in Job 41, verse 11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Well, I could go on and on, but remember this. Money, that is the paper that's in your wallet, and the the stuff that you keep in the bank and in other investments, and the electronic variety, whatever you swipe your card, and the stuff that you spend or that you keep, all of that has no intrinsic value. Its only value is that it represents real commodities that are a part of God's creation. I mean, have you ever noticed that the valuation of the stock market goes up and down, as does the value of our national currency? When unemployment is up, or the worldwide price of commodities rises or falls depending upon supply and demand, the value of money rises and falls. You know, before the Second World War, Germany experienced what was called hyperinflation. Overnight, Karl Bonhoeffer, head of psychiatry at the University of Berlin, took all his lifetime of savings and bought a bottle of wine and a cluster of grapes, and with that, all was gone. What once was considered to be of great value was in a matter of days reduced to worthless paper. See, money is no more than a tool that estimates the value of the commodities that are part of God's creation. In ancient times, wealth was measured in terms of building and land and cattle, and later precious metals, silver, gold were the measure of wealth, and finally, we hand out paper and coins which are a symbol of the real wealth that's located in the earth. But this one thing is the key to all that Jesus taught about money. God has never relinquished his ownership to anything. You may have a paper bill in your hand, but that piece of paper represents something in the earth that belongs to God. You have nothing, never will. God owns everything because he created everything. It's his. And so if the great God who owns even your life has demands on how his wealth is to be used, who will call God to an account? The earth is his and not yours. And no lesson on money ever gets anywhere until we acknowledge that one thing. You can't lay claim to another person's bank account and you can't lay claim to God's ownership of your bank account. Only when we see that will we understand how we should get on with money.
0: Well, John, for many, you may have opened up a can of worms today. Money is a a, a hot topic for so many people. And yet, it really is a barrier for so many in the relationship to God as well. Something fundamental is being said today, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because I know that in the years that I've done ministry, I can't tell you of how many times when I've spoken about money, there's been a harsh response, either an email or someone has even confronted me. You know, I think I can speak about sex, about uh, the relationship between men and women, about feminism. You know, I can speak about almost any hot topic, and it doesn't get the kind of response that talking about money gets. I don't know. There must be a lot of nerve endings, Ben. I think, in our wallets, because it's so sensitive to us, and yet because Jesus spoke about it so often. And indeed, the rest of the Bible does as well. I think we are robbing God's people of what they desperately need in order to walk in discipleship when we don't talk about money. So, I think that Christ demands that we talk about money so that all of us might be benefited and that we understand how important it is for us that we walk fully with God in every area of our lives. This is certainly one of them.
0: Well, we look forward to hearing more in the next few days. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.
1: Visiting the Promised Land never loses its appeal. That's why I feel it's so important to offer Back to the Bible Canada, Israel Experience, April 27th to May 6th, 2019. If you're able, taking the time to discover Jerusalem, the Garden Tomb, Sea of Galilee, King David's city, the list goes on and on, well, that will transform your understanding of the Bible and offer a spiritual impact like perhaps nothing else can on this earth. So consider joining me in Israel, and I'll do my best to bring every location to life and allow the Spirit of God to minister to your heart and mind. It all offers great fellowship and refreshment that sets the stage for new lifelong friendships. So consider joining us and for more information, please call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.